Welcome back to Principles with Corey and Logan. We got an awesome, awesome episode with you guys today. I got a new friend with me, Mark Slaybaugh. He is he helps entrepreneurs and leadership teams grow faster than they thought was even possible. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to jumping in because he does some some coaching, some leadership training. But part of what Mark does as well, he's been coaching churches and nonprofits really to create greater impact faster than they thought was possible. Coaching churches and nonprofits on how to establish successful team dynamics. That's a that's a different thing than just working individually. And and uh, I'm sure we'll jump into that. But when you he, he talks about when you unify a team working towards a common goal, you can always go further faster than you thought was even possible. So Mark, welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. Hey, Corey, it is nice to be with you. Uh, nice to see you face to face. And I've been listening to your podcast for a while. And thanks thanks for the value you bring every week. Uh, this is fun. I'm excited. Looking forward to you engaging with your audience. Awesome, Mark. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on. I know you got a ton of ton of things to learn. Uh, we, we've got a ton of things to learn from you because I have found <clears throat> leading leading yourself is one thing. That That's the most difficult person you ever lead. Mm-hmm. Leading a team in a business for profit is one thing, but it is a different thing leading uh, a team in a nonprofit. And we'll jump into that, but <clears throat> we'd really love to hear more about you know, that's what you're doing now, but how did you get to where you are and, and take us on the journey? Um, take us from where you are or how did you get to where you are, really? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a great starting point. You talked about leading yourself. Um, I was a pastor for uh, 16, 17 years, somewhere in that range. Um, and I got to a point, Corey, where I was really... Um, it was more than restlessness. Uh, there was a tension. Uh, there was a growing, um, I might even say frustration with how I was working, the work that I was being asked to do. And some of it was, I didn't even understand why I was frustrated or why that tension existed. And that leading yourself, that's a great way to put it. Um, I had to go on a discovery of why were those things frustrating me? Cause it wasn't that I, I no longer enjoyed the church or appreciated the church uh, or somehow was misaligned with its vision or its mission. Um, I was just frustrated. I didn't. I didn't enjoy the work I was doing. And one of the things that I discovered in that process was uh, reflecting on the the work that I did that brought me great joy and energy um, was was really the project side, the the things that happened. Uh, irregular or 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 less than frequent in my job description and in understanding how I liked to work and and the activity the work activity that brought me joy wow one of the things I I quickly realized Corey was I was in the wrong job (laughs) and so it was like I mean you talk about leading yourself I really had to do that because I was in this place that I think other people wanted me to be uh, or other people expected me to be and kind of prescribed for me, but I never really examined it for myself. And it was like this eye-opening experience of like, oh, oh, that's why I'm frustrated is is I like to do work in this way and not that way. And they keep bringing me that way. And, and that's why I'm frustrated. Yeah. So from there, uh, in that discovery, which was kind of hard, right? Hey, the job that I have is not is not the right job for me. So what do I do? I have to get a new job. 
uh, and that was uh, that was hard, but also brought me to a, a great place of satisfaction and and personal development because I I started doing work that was kind of lined up with my skills, with my passions, with the way I was wired, and it was just much much better. Yeah. You know, you, you said something really powerful in there. So you're in a season of, um, I would say, healthy discontent, right? There's a season of healthy discontent. And through reflecting, it brought you back to almost a, a, a true set point. Yeah. And uh, I'm talking to a lot of people right now that are they're finding, uh, man, they're in that same kind of season where they're a little bit discontent. And it's not, um, I would say it's a healthy discontent. So, so I would love... If, if you got any thoughts for people that may find themselves in that season right now where whether it's work or even just uh, where they are in life, it, it's more we're not talking about the people who just like to complain to be complaining. I'm talking about those people that kind of in the season you were in, you got any thoughts or first steps for those people that that may help them in the moment that they're in right now? I do. Uh, one of the things that I would say, uh, the first thing I would say is uh, it's your journey. And everyone around you is on their journey as well. So don't expect other people to kind of cater to your journey. But at the same time, there's a lot you can do to influence your own journey. Couple of, a couple of, you know, maybe maybe uh, next steps or, or, or things to consider. Um, your attitude is your choice. I mean, I'm, I'm. This is not original with me. It's, it's, it's something that I had to learn the hard way. But your attitude is your choice. If you go into work and the people you lead and, and the people you interact with, and you're kind of grumpy, um, that's your choice. You're choosing that, um, and and you may not understand why you're grumpy, and and that's kind of where I was. And and I'm I'm only saying that because I I'm speaking from a couple of years of like not being very good to work with because I was grumpy. Um, but when I began to realize it was my journey, I can shape this. It helped me just kind of understand, okay, I can make the best of today. Uh, even though I'm looking for a different tomorrow, I can make the best of today. And that was, that'd be one of the first things I would say is make the best of today, even though you're looking for a different tomorrow, because here's the other thing that happens, Corey, if you're grumpy today, um, and the people don't like working with you, you're going to shorten that lifespan of that job, even though you don't know what tomorrow is. So let, let's keep your job if you can. Uh, but just just understand it's your journey and you can shape tomorrow for yourself. So what does that look like? Um, I would say, you know, going on that discovery for myself of how do I like to work? What are the things that bring me joy? Um, and when you understand that, it helps you filter your, your opportunities better. And if you're leading... Um, if you are the leader, if you're the one who helps other people kind of get in their sweet spot, let's get you in your sweet spot. And so there might be someone on your team who could, who could actually do those things that you don't enjoy. And they might really like that. That might be the way that they're wired. So I would just say, you know, catch your breath, bring a, bring a good attitude to work and, uh, go on some discovery because you may find your your best tomorrow is where you are, um, but if it's not, uh, being being uh, grumpy won't won't uh, lengthen that lifespan. You'll be at tomorrow faster than you think. I like that, y'all write that down. <clears throat> being grumpy lengthens nobody's lifespan. That, that's that's cool. there you go. Hey, you know you you talk about a leader 
Um, there, there are some things that leaders probably shouldn't be doing, and there's some things that you should be doing. It's all about understanding, you know, what you're designed and created to do, your strengths and those kind of things, and then positioning people well. Um, but you talked about uh, some things a leader shouldn't be doing. It reminded me of a story when we had our physical therapy clinic. <clears throat> I was doing some work that I probably should not have, well, I should not have been doing at all because I didn't like doing it. I was any good at it. But I had this thought, right, of that I don't want to ask somebody to do something that I'm unwilling to do, right? And and here's the thing is it wasn't that I was unwilling to do it. I just wasn't any good at it. I needed to give it up to somebody who was good at it. And, and, and you look like you got a thought on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's really part of it is is understanding uh there, there was a, um, there was a job that I held that, which I knew was kind of like, I knew I could do it well. I knew I could, I knew I was doing well at it, but I knew it really wasn't aligned with what my passions or what my kind of ideal opportunity would look like. And there became a, a realization for me that, uh, the job that I was in wasn't perfect for me but it was perfect for someone else. Mm -hmm. And when I, uh, when I came to that kind of aha moment, if you will, if you will, and because of my background in, and I don't know that if everybody's listening who has a, a faith centered kind of perspective on, on their careers, but for me in that place, in that time, I also, uh, kind of, I, I tried to approach that with a, uh, abundance mentality and not a scarcity mentality. And meaning that, okay, if this is the perfect job for someone else, then there's probably a perfect job for me somewhere else. And that's a little risky, but at the same time, great reward. Yeah, man, that is that is powerful. I, I love that. Uh, and it's really important to understanding some of those things. So <clears throat> what I'm hearing you saying is if you're in that season of discontent, uh, maybe maybe start with some self-reflection of uh taking a, taking a, a little bit of a time out and scaling back and seeing what, what you enjoy doing, where you're good at, those kind of things, and, and going from there. I, I think that's really powerful, really powerful. And so, Mark, I know you work with a lot of teams, and, and, and you talk about um, uniting teams or unifying teams, and, and I would love for you to speak on that a little bit of – and you've touched on a little bit of knowing your strengths, putting people in their strengths, but uh, how do you, as a team leader, how would I go about doing that? Making sure I understand my strengths is one thing, but understanding the strengths of other people, like how do I unify my team to go and, and do awesome things? I would say one of the first steps is uh, if you're the leader, if you're the, if you're the one that is, uh, that has the ability to, um, to elevate and to place those other people in their places of success. I would, I would, uh, in a very, uh, in a very transparent way, just share about your own journey into like, here's what I understand about myself. And here's what I understand about how I like to work and what I'm good at. And you're not going to tell them anything they don't know, right? If they're following you, they know what you're good at. They know what you suck at. They know. They know. You're not going to tell them anything that's new. So just, just talk about it. Be open. And you build trust in that way. And so when I say, hey, guys, I'm really good at 
uh, writing new content. I'm good at waking up in the morning and writing new things and putting thoughts together. Uh, I'm good at helping people uh, synergize and bring their gifts to the table. I'm not good at spreadsheets. I am not good at the minutia. I am not good at editing and making sure that all of our punctuation is correct. I'm not good at hospitality. I'm not good at making sure the room feels like a place that is warm. But I know some of you on this team are, and I'm counting on you for that. And that goes back to your thing, Corey, of like almost this idea that if I don't like doing something, then there's no way that someone else could like doing it. And that's just, it's just false. It's just completely, it's just completely false. There may not be somebody currently on your team who likes to do that, but surely there's someone who likes to do that. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's about being transparent and building trust. Uh, I often say trust plus motivation equals retention. Your staff is going to want to stay if they trust you. Your staff is going to want to stay if you're motivating them. Uh, it's just going to keep them around because they, that trust, that motivation, it's, it's better than money. Whatever you're paying them, if they trust you, if you trust them, if they're motivated every day, it's better than money, way better than money. Yeah. Yeah, man, that is powerful. And, you know, it blew me away that somebody actually liked doing the thing that I could not stand doing, but you're right. It is true, man. And they're actually way better at it uh, than you are. Um, yeah, I love what you're saying. Trust is the foundation of of all relationships, especially as as a leader, and the deeper the trust, the the higher you can go. And I, you reminded me of this. I was at a conference one time, and um, <clears throat> they were talking on trust. And the guy stood up and he asked the uh, the speaker a question. He said, "So, in a relationship, uh, how much do I give, and how much should the other person give? Should I give like fifty one, and they give forty nine? Should it be fifty fifty? like 60, 40. And the, and the speaker, he said, no, it's 100, 100. Mm. You give 100, they give 100. Mm -hmm. Because if a relationship ever gets lopsided, the relationship will not last. But what you're saying is trust is the foundation that any relationship is built off of. That's yeah. powerful. Powerful. So I, I'm kind of curious, you were in the church uh, as a church leader mm -hmm. uh, for, for a time, and now you're working with leaders who are leading churches, kind of, what do you see from this lens? What, what kind of difference do you see from this viewpoint? Well, uh, okay, so I just talked about being transparent, so I I, I need to be transparent. Um, Corey, one of the things that happened was uh, there was a drive and an intensity in me that I didn't really understand, but other people didn't really, um, it wasn't received well in a lot of places, and that that tenacity that 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 intensity of like you know doing more accomplishing you know more things towards the goal that we set and and perhaps even working faster towards that goal these these kind of places uh i mean if you've had experience in the church world not every church is like that in fact most churches don't really receive that kind of i keep using the word tenacity or or or, or intensity um and it what it it really became a it became a, a rub with others. And uh, through the journey of discovery, I understood kind of this idea of, uh, I call it, I, I wanted to be rewarded for hard work and I didn't want any ceilings on me. In other words, I wanted to be able to grow at the pace that I wanted to grow. And I didn't want just to be capped because of whatever system I was a part of. I wanted to be in a system that, that uh, opened up opportunity 
to me, not kind of kept me in one little corner. And through that, um, I realized that number one, the the pastor job just really wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't going to meet any of that. It wasn't going to meet any of the things on my list of what I wanted out of work. And so through that, I began to ask some questions about how do I stay engaged with the church? I still love the church. I want my experience to matter. Uh, and uh, came into this space of uh, helping churches and nonprofits raise money, uh, capital campaigns, if you will, uh, and understanding that, uh, like in many ways, I didn't really even know it was a thing. I didn't know it was something that people could do as their work. Um, and it really, it really just kind of clicked, became, uh, it became part of, a, a discovery for me of, I enjoyed so much of, uh, about that, that I did not necessarily see even on the front side of, of understanding what that work could be. Yeah. It's the interesting thing you said, didn't know it could even be a work. I, I found myself into the lane that I'm in. I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know you could build a work around uh, leadership training and development and coaching and all that kind of stuff at, yeah. at the time. Uh, but you said something too. You talked about you did not want to be capped in your growth. And uh, anybody out there that's listening, uh, that leads teams, anybody that's got true leadership potential, they, it's the same thing with them. If they ever feel capped, and, and, and Mark is speaking from personal experience, and I am as well, that anybody with that leadership potential, they don't want to be capped. They're, they're, they want the caps off. They want to be able to grow and, and, and you know, from a financial, not only just a financial standpoint, but also their, their personal and professional development. And if they are capped, they're, they're looking for something else. Uh, I, I've just witnessed it many, many times there. Yeah, Corey, one of the things that I did uh, through that discovery process was I, I wrote down everything that I wanted out of my next work, uh, my next job, if you will. But it was more than just like the job is like, what kind of work do I want to do? What, what do I want from that work? And I came up with five things. Um, and oddly enough, um, I described it as, you know, I want to be rewarded for hard work. But it wasn't necessarily about an income level, although there was a income level that I kind of estimated that would be a part of this. It was more about um, that reward coming in the form of satisfaction and like even more opportunity. Like the harder you worked, the more opportunity you would get and perhaps even more of like the opportunity, opportunities that would be aligned in your sweet spot. And part of what I do is I'm kind of selective in the clients that I work with um, just because I can be. And I don't, I don't chase everything. Uh, but I also know that I'm not the perfect, I'm not the perfect coach for every church and for every nonprofit that's out there. I mean, even if it, you talk about churches, there's, what is there, 200, 300,000 churches in the country? Well, I can't work with 200 or 300,000 churches. So I know that I'm not the perfect connection for everyone. Uh, but part of that reward was just opportunity and, and being able to be selective in those opportunities. And that's been, um, that's been a part of the, the fun that I've discovered over the last decade. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, I'm hearing in your story, a, a common theme that, that we talk about in here that is so powerful and, and important. And that's, that's the reflection piece that you did. Um, when you reflect, you allow the lessons to catch up with you, but it allows you to get creative. You talked about, you ask yourself some of the questions, what do I want out of work? And I've, I've found just people 
almost um, gunshot to even allow themselves to start dreaming like that, even to allow themselves to go down that lane, but how powerful it is whenever you allow yourself to do that. So um, I, I got a question for you there, Mark. So uh, I found, or it appears to be, and, and, and if I'm wrong on this, you can correct me, but um, I've only worked with, I'm only working with one church at the moment. And uh, I've seen this not only there, but o- over nonprofits. Um, the leaders there, they kind of have this feeling that they have to do all the work and that um, they have to say yes to everything, right? Because, you know, in nonprofit work, a lot of times it's heart work and they feel like they have this need to say yes to everything. And you got any advice or any thoughts on anything uh, along those lines to help help leaders that may be feeling like you got to do everything and say yes to everyone? I think um, there would be there would be two things that I would ask some questions about first before I would do some prescription, but, but um, in, in the diagnosis, I would first ask things like, how clear is your vision and your mission? In other words, like if you're very clear about what you do uh, within your church, it's usually pretty easy for everyone else to understand like what would get, what would be said? Yes. Like what, what would, what would bring a yes in terms of like, for example, there's a church in Arizona where they're very clear, very direct. We are here uh, to reach the men of our community. And so their their process is we're going to reach men. We're going to teach men how to be leaders. They're going to lead their families, which means their wives and their kids will come as well. Uh, and they will come to our church. And they've been very successful around that. But that clarity about here's who we attract, here's who we're going after. So therefore, you know, are we going to do, you know, something that's outside of that attracting men? Well, no, we're, we're not because our energies are pointing towards this. So I think in the diagnosis, I would first ask about how clear is your mission and your, and your goal? Is does, does everybody know that? Because if it's not, then everybody thinks that, well, we do everything. And if they think they do everything, then they're going to ask you about everything. The second diagnosis I would ask is about the individual leader. Um, so conversely... Uh, my story is I never have any guilt about, uh, being a people pleaser. I'm just not a people pleaser, probably on the other side of it, uh, at, to a fault. And I needed to correct some of that. So I never felt like I had to make people happy because I knew I wasn't going to make people happy and part of my wiring. And so if you're working with a leader who has some of that tendency opposite of me towards a people pleaser, then that guilt kind of piles on, right? Um, it's this idea of, man, I really trust Mark and Deborah. They are great people in our church. I don't want to let them down. They bring a great idea, but I guess I got to say yes to it, uh, even though it doesn't align with where you ultimately want to go. So I think those would be the places I would start with diagnosis. The other thing I would say, Corey, is uh, something happened in the pandemic with churches and nonprofits, churches specifically that I hope gets corrected here pretty soon. And that was, we had to scramble. We had to make sure that everything was available online. We had to do all of our ministry online. Uh, And now that we're not in a lockdown anymore, there is this pressure in a lot of churches that I talk to where they believe they need to continue all of the online 
uh, an electronic ministry that they were doing in addition to coming back to full speed of everything that they were doing in person. And I'm just not sure it's a healthy pace. And I'm not sure it's all needed. So there's a lot more that goes into, well, how do we know what's needed? That that's a whole that's that's hours and hours of diving into them. But I think that's where I would start with the diagnosis on that. Yeah. You um that's an interesting thought right there. Cause uh again, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm more in the entrepreneur business kind of lane and uh but but the ground to the ear that that I have in that church world is all you got to do online. You've got to have the online campus as well. And um, you're saying you may not, may not have to, and it may be overworking some of you. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to dive into some of that, right? Any, any yeah. more thoughts on that? So uh, I'm not sure that, uh, I'm not sure that's must, much different than it was in, in um, marketplace uh, industries where they had to adapt to the pandemic and they probably are still dealing with some of the uh, some of the adaptions they made as a result of the pandemic and now coming out of it, do we need to continue those kinds of things, either how they're customer facing or, you know, how do they work with their vendors, this sort of thing? Um, it's a good question for any industry, but I can speak very specifically into the church space. And I would say, um, you know, there's the reality is there's probably only two to 500 churches in the country that can do online worship in the quality that the typical person would really interact with and engage with. A lot of other churches are simply just putting a camera up in the back of the uh, sanctuary or auditorium, whatever you call your space. And they just have that camera on. It's a live feed. And, you know, perhaps in the announcements or, or something like that, they are uh, directing their eyes and their emotions towards the camera and they are addressing the online audience, but they're not really engaged with an online church, which is very different. Um, and one pastor that I was uh, talking with uh, in a large metro area, he's like, if we keep putting energy into this online thing, then my people are just going to stay home because it's more convenient. But the real value is when they come in person. That's where I want them to be. And we had a, a long conversation around if the if the intention is that they have live in-person interaction then why would you strive to make the online worship experience as good as the in-person worship experience so i think it's uh in a marketplace industry we talk about how do we want our customers to interact with us uh what's the best way to do that and i think in the church conversation it's very much relevant how do we want our our people to interact with us and if it is online, okay, then change some things about what you do because just putting one camera up in the back is not giving them that best experience that they could possibly have. But if it's about in-person interaction, then make decisions based on that as well. So these are, uh, man, these are conversations I, I have over the course of a day with a church. So it's hard to really kind of get into specifics on that. But do you, do, does that help with yeah. with kind of what you're thinking there? Yeah, no, no, that, I love that. And because, <clears throat> you know, I've seen churches that, uh, you know, we, we travel and, and love one dropping in on different churches to to worship with other believers, our brothers and sisters and, and you know, watch, uh, you know, whenever we're out of town as well. And there are some that 
as you say that, it's really clicked with me now that do it really well, meaning they engage with the online, they want to call it campus, but they yeah. engage really well at the beginning and then at the very end where there's some actual engagement going on. And I, I hadn't really uh, thought about it until you brought that brought that up, but they do it really, really well to where yeah. you're actually, you are engaged. And actually it feels more personal. Uh, it it kind of does um, with, with some of the ones that I've seen do it well. So yeah. it, it's kind of interesting. Um, and, and I know this may be a route that you may not want to go, but it's just something really, really interesting. Um, you're, you work with uh, the leadership of, of churches. I work with a lot of people who go to church uh, and uh, some leadership too. And there's some kind of shift that is going on within the church at large. It, it feels like, um, and I know church pastors have seen it where there's a lot of shifting with, with members coming and going. And I don't know, it seems like there is a shift that has happened within the church. Um, and I just, you know, if you put your, uh, we can use the language, prophetic lenses on where do you see the church globally going in the next you know few years and we're not holding you to it by the way so. <laughs> um, but with the lens that you have working with leadership where do you see it going well if i'm if i'm talking to church leaders here and uh, i don't obviously i don't know the demo demographics of your audience uh to that level but if we're talking to church leaders here there's a couple things that i would say um i think multi-site expression which is you know, a church that uh, potentially has campuses across a region um, that are, you know, maybe video venues, but they're all associated with, with the same kind or with the same branding or the same name, but they're just different campuses. So the multi-site expression, I think, is going to change dramatically over the next uh, 10 to 20 years. I think we're going to see less and less of that. Number one, because it's not as financially efficient as perhaps they in initially thought. Uh, and number two, it's really hard. It's really hard. Um, and when you're dealing with leaders, when you're dealing with in a church space, it's not just like a franchise. It's not like, it's not just like making sure that this Chick-fil-A is the same as that Chick-fil-A or, you know, whatever your favorite restaurant is. It's more than that. And when you have natural leaders who grow, uh, it just changes things. And so I'm going to, I'm, uh, one of my things is I would say, there's going to be less and less multi-site. Uh, there's going to also be, um, I, I think the churches that come out of this season with the pandemic, if you will, uh, the churches that come out of the pandemic uh, with pastors that still want to be pastors, and that's a big, that's a big other thing. Um, I would say that uh, it's an opportunity for churches who are intentional and very clear about where they're going I think they will see the next decade uh, as as a, a season of thriving, um, much like uh, I was watching very closely based on where I live uh, from what happened in 2008, 2009, the, uh, the companies that survived what happened in 2009 in my area, uh, construction and manufacturing, those companies had very distinct intentional strategies to take them through that downturn. And they came out of it with year after year of growth, year after year of, of prosperity. 
uh, I want to be careful with that word prosperity, but I think you understand what I mean, like growth, increased revenue. In the church space, when you have increased revenue, that means you can do more mission, you can do more ministry, you can do more things for your global partners. Um, so those, in many ways, those are my two big things. I think multi-site is going to be very different. Uh, and I think the churches that have clear intentional strategy uh, will see a season of thriving over the next decade. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. And it kind of goes back to one of the things you've mentioned before, being very clear on your vision and direction. And having that clear allows you to say yes to what needs to be said yes to and no to what needs to be said no to. Wow, yeah. that's good stuff. Um, you had mentioned earlier about capital campaigns and helping nonprofits raise money. And that's, that's a different thing than, um, than just kind of going out and selling a product that a lot of entrepreneurs may be used to. And I, my wife is actually now, where <clears throat> our background, all the listeners kind of know, has been in the physical therapy world, we've owned physical therapy business and those kind of things. But uh, she now is working with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, kind of a missionary where she's raising her own money. And that's been a different thing, right? It's different to raise money. And uh, so I know you talk a lot about raising money to where it's like a disciple, but you're not coming across as a slimy or sleazy sales professional or salesman. Uh, and, and I'd love for you to just kind of expand on some of that. How do you do that in, in an honorable way? Mm-hmm. Um, let me, let me kind of back out to a high level view. Um, if you are of my generation, uh, and I'm, I'm in my forties and, and, uh, growing up watching the church of North America, uh, there were some examples that, um, I would say are distinct in my mind and in, and in my generation that perhaps, um, their reputation for money how they talked about money, how they asked for money, what they did with money, their reputation dripped out onto all churches. Their reputation for, I'll I'll use the word of misuse or um, maybe even perhaps abuse of money uh, in the church became something where a lot of of my contemporaries perhaps looked at and said, I'm not going to be that guy. Mm -hmm. So in order to not be that guy, I got to go all the way over here. And it became very much uh, money resources became uh, a conversation that they put themselves at an arm's length from because they didn't want to be that guy. Okay. So that's a lot of what I've been working with over the last decade is, is this idea that I'm not going to be like him. And if we swing with anything in our lives, if we swing completely to the other side, we probably have gone too far. And so I would say there's definitely some healthy ways to engage this conversation. Um, There's all sorts of research that you can do very quickly uh, on the internet that says, you know, Jesus talked about money more than he did prayer or faith or heaven combined, right? Money's a big deal. Money's a big conversation with Jesus in the Bible. Uh, And if we take all of it in context, within the Old Testament and the New Testament about how God and his son Jesus looked at money, we can we can build a pretty healthy uh, baseline of what it means to talk about money in the context of the local church. But I would say this, uh, Corey, on a very practical level, um, when I go to Home Depot, um, I have to have a list because if I don't have a list 
I'm going to buy a couple things that I probably don't need and a couple of things that probably are just going to cost me a little bit more than I should have spent. Uh, did you know that there is this new Milwaukee drill? It's cordless. It's like, I don't know, what are they up to now? Like a thousand volts in their batteries or something? It It's just, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. But I don't need a new drill. Uh, I would really, I would really like to have that drill. I'm sure for the seven times a year I need a drill, it would be amazing. But I don't need a new drill. But I want one, man. I really want that drill. So for me, I can't go to Home Depot without a list. And I need to stick to my list because if I don't, I'm going to spend more money. Whether it's Home Depot, whether it's the, the, the fishing store, whether it is Nordstrom Rack, whatever it is, money has, for some of us, it has a hold on us that it, it wants us to do something. I want to buy more things because I want to tell myself that my bank account is big enough to get whatever I want or whatever that self-talk is that's going on. And really, the opportunity to engage people in the conversation about how they handle their money as a discipleship conversation. And it's just this idea of, you know, Mark, do you really need a Milwaukee drill? I don't, I don't. Can I afford it? I absolutely can. I can, I can totally afford it. My wife would, would, she may laugh at me, but she wouldn't condemn me for getting a new drill. That's not, that's not really what's going on, but it's about what's happening inside of me that says, you know, Hey, I should totally get that drill because I just want it. I don't really need it, but I just want it. Uh, and so what's going on about how I view money in my heart. Now, let's also take the context. Uh, we've really leaned into church leaders and and and, and Christian conversations here. So uh, feel free to edit this out. If, it's all if, good. Just free flow. You get it, brother. So, I mean, let's just take it all within context. Um, the Old Testament tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Here's what, here's what that means. Here's, here's what that context is about. The context is about the fact that God has all the resources that he needs. God, God owns it all, and he is, he is giving us some things to manage in our lives here on earth. So if God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, there's no chance that God needs my $50 or my $5,000 or my $500,000 or whatever it is. There's no chance that God needs my money. God does not need my wallet. He doesn't. But what does God want? God wants me to engage him with, with my heart and with all that I am. And so in doing that, I mean, that's really what the conversation is about. Once we've conquered that, the rest is easy. But just understanding that it's not really about your wallet. It's about what God wants to accomplish. And he's inviting you in. Do you want to be a part of that? Um, Jesus said, God loves a cheerful giver. So take all of that together. Take it all together. If you're not a cheerful giver, you know, opt out, opt out of this thing. Um, but if you can be a cheerful giver, man, it's, there's, I mean, there is, there is clinical psychology, psychology research. I'm not using the right words here. There's some people who professionally study sociological and psychological behavior that have done significant research on the connection of generosity and joy. Those two things are so deeply connected that it's, it, it is just eye-opening on how profound 
and how distinct generosity and joy are connected. And the people who live generous lives are some of the happiest people you know. I don't know anyone who is generous and angry. I don't know anyone who is like that. No one. Everyone who I know who is angry is stingy. Everyone that I know is generous, is is joyful, is happy. Is, I love to be around them. So it, they're deeply connected. That is still wow. not what I expected we would be talking about today. You know what? We just let it flow more, man. It's all good. It is. All, I love that. And because Does that help I, you, Corey? Does that is is that is that is that kind of uh, answer that question about discipleship versus you know salesman pastor kind of thing? Absolutely, because um, I, I see the same thing, and I one hundred percent agree with you that uh, being generous and, and joyful uh, go hand in hand. And and and, and I'm just going to speak from a personal standpoint. I don't like being sold anything, uh, yeah. you know, whether it's uh, being sold a car. Um, the best sales professional, they do a service. It's something they do for somebody, not to somebody. And uh, I, I don't like being sold something. And especially within the church lane of being shamed or guilted. Yeah. Uh, but whenever, whenever the Lord whenever the spirit comes upon me, there is a, or whenever I was sealed with the spirit, there is a new creation in there. I am generous, right? I just need to know about the opportunity, right? But I don't, I don't like to be sold anything. I just want to know about the opportunity because I joyfully, and I want to be generous because of what you said, like God doesn't need my wallet, but I get to partner with him in advancing his kingdom from a financial standpoint. I want to do that, but I don't want to be sold uh, doing it. Yeah. yeah. It, and, and you don't need to sell it. You, you just need to communicate to people, you know, here's how to, here's how to live like Jesus. Uh, here's what Jesus said. Um, and when we can do these things together, man, we're going to make a huge difference, huge difference. There's, there's some pretty easy research on, um, on if, if half of the people who attended uh, evangelical churches in the United States, if half of the people would tithe ten percent of your of your of your income. Let me just let me just say it again. If half the people who attended evangelical churches gave ten percent of their income to the church, there would be no need for a parachurch ministry within the United States. Wow! Because they'd be fully funded. Wow! All that work would be fully funded. It's powerful. Well, Mark, you have added a ton, a ton of value and I really appreciate your time. And and I know you, uh, there are a lot of people that you've impacted and um, they really have. So I, I would love to ask you, I know there there may be people who's like, man, I need to get in touch with Mark. I got a, I got a team, I, my church, uh, maybe a church leadership that wants to get in touch with you and, and not even just church leadership. You work with leaders, so you don't have yeah. to. I know we went down the lane of church, but if there is a leader that wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? And I know before you and I pressed the record button, you talked about an assessment that may benefit leaders. So I'd love for you to talk about that, but how do people get in touch with you, Mark? Yeah, um, I appreciate that. Corey, the, the easiest thing to do uh, is is to connect with the website. And the website is is my last name. And so let me spell that for the audience, slaybawcoaching.com. Slaybaugh is spelled S-L-A-B-A-U-G-H, slaybaughcoaching.com. And there's a tool on there. I'm all about teams having a conversation. And there's a tool on there called an elevation assessment. The idea is, 
how do we get to the to the to the pinnacle or our number one goal? How do we get to that elevation? And so the elevation assessment is about uh, you just you know as a baseline talking about some things uh, as a team, and we're just trying to create conversations for teams because someone much smarter than me said, uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you if you want to go big, get a team or something even better than that, right? So this idea of if you're going to accomplish big things, you need a team to do that. Uh, and so you're working with a team. I would encourage you take the uh, elevation assessment that's on my website, and uh, that will give you uh, once you're done. You make sure you put your email in there so that it sends you the PDF. So each of you take the assessment independently. You each get that PDF sent to your email, then have a conversation around it where you say, okay, here's the first one. I answered two. Uh, Jason, you answered five. Why are our answers so different? Why are we, you know, why do we view this differently? And just create some conversation around how you're doing as a team. Uh, and if there's anything that I would uh, most value, it would be the opportunity to, to, to bring value to your team. And so that's that's one of the best things there. Just go to the website uh, down in the middle of that page is an elevation assessment, and that's for you and your team. There's a free res it's a free resource for you. Create that conversation and help you guys take a, a step forward. Well, that's awesome, Mark. Appreciate that. So slaybawcoaching.com and the tool is on there. There's also, I think you said, a link on there for somebody to schedule a, a call uh, mm -hmm. to get in touch with you. And we'll have that in the <clears throat> the show notes uh, as well. So Mark, I really appreciate you. you've added a ton of value and thanks for coming on. And we, we want to say thank you for taking a listen today uh, to principles of Corey and Logan. I hope it's added value to you. And if Mark has said something that has stood out to you and um, you would like to pass along something to him, you can contact him, but uh, you can comment in the show notes below or, or in the links below and we'll, we'll pass that along to him. Make sure you like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with any of the future episodes of Cor uh, Principles with Corey and Logan. We appreciate you. Hope you have an awesome day and God bless.